Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today uh, we're talking about Transit. Yes. Which is a German film uh, written and directed by Christian Petzold uh-huh. uh, based on a 1944 novel uh, by uh, Anna Segers. Yeah. Or Segers. Uh, set in 1942, the novel was, but this is set in the present day. No. Well. No. I mean, that's one of the things we have to discuss because the film is really set in 1942. I mean, it's when the German occupation, uh, when the Germans occupied, the film begins on the German, the day the Germans occupied Paris, right? So now the whole thing is that the way that it's filmed is filmed as if it isn't a historical film. So everything you're told is historical you know, what you're shown is more mixed. It's like, you know, they haven't changed the cars, they haven't changed the clothes, you know, but then there are also things like, you know, a 1930s typewriter, right? So the director is clearly playing with time. He wants he wants what is happening in the film to have resonance with refugees, you know, and migrants now. Right, so he's making a connection between the past and the present, but the action is very much set in the past. Right, well, I mean, the, th- the way the timeline seems to be, there's a very ambiguous opening scene because all you see, you, you mainly get close up shots of these two guys at the bar, yes. which kind of starts the action off. And so I'm thinking, th- this, um, they talk about the Germans having occupied Paris, which is yes. where they are, but uh, the clothes they're wearing seem a little too modern. And and then you, uh, you're hearing ambulances outside, and, and you see one or two shots of cars going by, and they are modern cars. Yes. And so uh, you're right; it's kind of it starts to play on your perceptions. And to be fair, though, the way that I took it overall mm. was that when you did see something that was old, an old radio or an old typewriter or an old uh, uh, a lot of the luggage that, that people use is very large, old sort of mm. big boxy suitcases. Um, I did, I suppose, take that to mean that this was old stuff that had just lasted to the present day. But I think you're quite right that it is, um, it is allowing these uh, sort of symbols of different times to mix very fluidly. What everything that you are told, or even that the characters say, is definitely referring to German occupation. Yeah, yeah. and it is left vague. Um, some things are quite explicit, though. Uh, you know, because one of the th- one of the ways that the film tells its story is it reads or it narrates excerpts of the original book, yeah. And there's a narrator uh, as well who, who, you know, so so aspects of her book are being read, kind of certain things are being told. So kind of there's this layer of uh, this layering of events, but but you know the the. The the German occupation is very clear, mm. right? So you know it's set in Paris. You know he's asked to deliver some secret papers. You know to this famous writer. You know the woman who opens the door basically tells him about you know how the German yeah she's keeping her hotel open in spite of the German occupation. All of that dialogue is like yeah. very specific. This is it. You know the way that they escape Paris. You know you're meant yeah it's kind of again meant to refer to that. The waiting around in Marseille. You know, all of that is historical. And in fact, I was very interested to read that uh, the novelist, who's the lady who wrote the book? Anna Segers. Is, was in fact, you know, waiting around Marseille, waiting for her transit papers with Walter Benjamin, the author, right? 
Uh, and, you know, there's all these things about crossing the Pyrenees and, you know, mm. yeah, getting across the Pyrenees and escaping that way, which is, of course, what Benjamin died, yeah, only to die, yeah. Uh, I think he committed suicide. Um, so... The, um, the thing you say about the narration in the film, the voiceover narration, uh, being actual excerpts of Seeger's book, mm. is that... I didn't know if that's... Is that actually the case? Well, it is, though I'm not sure if it's always... Um, Word perfect. If, well, I'm not sure if there are times when the when the not when the words are from the novel and other times when they're not. That some of the words are from the novel is it, definitely true. Is definitely true. Okay, that's interesting. Right now, the question is, kind of, you know, is that is that all the voiceover you hear excerpts mm. from the novel? Yeah, or is there also something else? Sure. Yeah, um, but I mean, kind of, let's backtrack a little bit because. I, I think it's an amazing movie and I was deeply moved and also you know there were moments that I was on the edge of my seat like you know when he's talking to Marie and you say well why don't you just say what you're doing right like you know yeah and he well, can we quickly say what it's about yeah, yeah. before we get into sort of d- deep territory it, it's it's um so let's kind of skip over the question of exactly when it's set and it mixes uh, elements of time periods and it, it's about this guy um What's his Georg. name? Uh, Georg, uh, played by uh, Franz Rogowski, who we've actually seen once before in Happy End, the Hanukkah yes. film. Um, he is, uh, you find out a little bit later, a radio and TV technician. He's just a guy, right, mm. uh, who's German, living in Paris, and uh, there is obviously... And a Jew. It, well, is it clear that he's a Jew? Does he Anybody who's on the run there is a Jew. Mm. Well, okay, well, it's, that's certainly not made explicit, but that mm. may well be the case. I, mm. I had a, there was a question in my mind, certainly, about that. Um, uh, there is this uh, fascist occupation of Germans in Paris, mm. uh, and it's making its way through France. Um, he's given this, uh, a couple of letters by a journalist uh, who he knows, uh, who I think he owes money to, anyway, um, to give to this writer, this famous writer called Vidal. Uh, he goes to the Vidal's hotel room, as you say, to give him this stuff. Turns out that he's killed himself. Mm. And he opportunistically takes what is Vidal, takes the stuff in his room, and goes to Marseille, where his wife has asked him to come. Mm. And Marseille is where people are leaving from. Okay, let's kind of, let me backtrack now, you know, and, and continue on from what you say, because it's important, I think. So, he doesn't just opportunistically take you know, the the writer's things, the concierge of the hotel kind of asks him to take him because mm. basically, you know, even this man's death is something that puts everybody in danger. I mean, he hasn't been killed by the Germans. He's committed suicide in this hotel. You know, just as the Germans kind of are moving in, there's blood everywhere. And all of a sudden, kind of, you know, there's all these papers and but yeah, good luggage and so on. So she asks him to take it. The body has already been secretly uh, uh, disposed of. Um, and then he returns back to, uh, uh, you know, his mates and, um, he's asked to transport someone to the mountains, Mm. right? And this man, you know, has been very badly hurt. And in fact, what ends up happening is, you know, after evading kind of the police and Nazis and so on, basically the guy dies, right? So then he's got to make a run. Uh, uh, from that because they arrest other people kind of you know who are also on the train Uh, and then he makes it to Marseille 
And in Marseille, he goes and knocks on the door of the wife of the man who's just died on the train, right? And kind of uh, meets his child and so on. Anyway, so this is the context in which he ends up in Marseille. And to me, it's very interesting because, you know, there's a point of making the women Moroccan, yeah, or Maghreb. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. uh, so all of these issues of people without papers, people in transit, people in danger, people on the run, you know, kind of what exclusionary political policies lead to. They're being kind of, you're, you're being specifically asked to make a connection between, you know, Jews in 1942 or whatever it was, or 41 or 40, right? And, and you know, every so often the film will tell you, oh, they're being cleansed in Lyon or Avignon is being cleansed mm-hmm. or it's approaching here, yeah? Like they're only a day away, then we're going to be cleansed, right? So, um, so you're being asked to make an explicit kind of connection between that and the contemporary world. You know, what's happening now, you know, with people trying to sneak in borders in the US or people waiting in ports like, you know, Calais to kind of arrive in the UK, yeah? And actually, I, the film for me, if you make that connection, which I think the film explicitly asks you to do over and over again, then it becomes kind of this deeply moral and ethical and challenging film because it's really asking you to say, well, what are you doing, right? Because we all have this thing of, you know, oh, you know, when this was happening with the Jews, why didn't people do anything, right? Like, I would have done it or whatever. And actually, kind of the film asks you, well, what are you doing about what's happening now? Now. (laughs) Yes, because these situations that the film is showing, they're happening everywhere now, right? It isn't just something kind of relegated to the past. Yeah, but I think what's kind of striking about the film is that it's set in a uh, quote unquote Western country, yes. and that, and you know that you kind of don't imagine that happening uh, in Western countries yeah. since the war, basically. That's right, but um, but that's the point. It's happening right now. I mean, you know, it's it's maybe not happening, you know, if you're a Frenchman, but it is happening if you're a Syrian trying to move south, yeah, you know, trying to yeah. get away from a war zone or. Yeah, kind of various uh, Eastern, Middle Eastern and North African peoples just kind of trying to escape, you know, some situation where they will die if they remain, right? That's that's very current, really. Uh, well, it's funny, because remember when we talked about Casablanca way back when, yes. the start of the year, I think, and um, and you were saying, if you, I think we were talking about if you made this film today, mm. sort of, and you suggested, well, the way you would, the story you would tell today is about people in, uh, the Middle East, people in North Africa, people mm. in places where you know the, the, this is happening. People from the Middle uh, East were waiting in Calais to get passage, yeah. <laughs> right? Or um, to hide in a underneath a truck instead of you know like a moving train or yeah. And yeah. actually, I think this is what this film does. But the th- but then the thing is this, uh, uh, although it it places some priority on uh, people of color and people from those ethnic backgrounds, it still uh, tells a slightly it's set in a slightly fantastical world being that it kind of it says th- this is happening in modern uh france this is well, had to white people and you know the and with an occupation that's where it kind of uh i think well is unusual and that's where it's kind of striking well okay so let's let's get this clear because i think you know for me the film is not set in a modern time it is set under the occupation but what the film is telling you is also the occupation is now. 
yeah, that, you know, it's a different kind of occupation, right? But kind of people are facing these problems now. They're in this type of danger now. There are people kind of trying to get papers now. There are people kind of, you know, being sent back to, to, to you know, camps now, right? So, yeah. Well, I think there's a metaphor. Like, the thing is, the, the, there is not an occupation of France going on right now. You know, no, but there, there is, is in the film. That's why. It's right. That's but that's my point. That's where it is. It is taking this kind of uh, taking a kind of sort of metaphorical leap or or kind of imaginative leap to emphasise the points that it's making. It's doing so through metaphor. It's not doing so as if to say this is exactly happening now. That's where. Okay. It's, like, fair, like, enough, fair enough. Do you okay. see what I mean? Like when I said earlier that what it's striking that this is sort of happening in a Western country. It ha- it's it's happening in a country which has symb- symbols of Westernness and. Um, to Western people, and that's what is kind of, mm. you know, that's what is. Sorry, just like I say, when when you said if you were to make Casablanca today, you'd like to make it about this place where it is actually happening. That's the difference here. It's not actually happening in the way it is in the film here. No, but but the film makes so many allusions. Yeah, you know, so for example, you know, there's this thing about the ships that they hope to get to America with, the Montreal, right? And they have this huge cruise ship which is like, what was it, something Doria, the one that crashed in, you know, uh, in Italy. The Costa Concordia. The Costa Concordia. The film makes kind of explicit references to kind of contemporary situations. One of them is the way that they pictorialize the ship that is meant to take them to, you know, to, to, to America, which is the Montreal, you know, and kind of visually it's so similar to the Costa Concordia that, that kind of crashed on the shores of Italy and, you know, how all of that was, was handled and what a scandal that was. Uh, and in fact, you know, th- that illusion is doubled because the Montreal is also meant to have hit a mine and everyone in it kind of, you know... Um, there are no survivors. No survivors. So, so, so this mingling of the present, of the past, of the referencing of the, of, the, of the past to the present, right, is such an interesting thing that the film does. And, you know, maybe we're giving a wrong impression because... The film is about all of that, but at the center of it is also, you know, kind of all these things about kind of love and belonging and different types of love and, you know, the, 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 the choices that situations put people in, you know, um, and how people try to do the honorable thing and how they might also be selfish and, you know, how, how often kind of doing the honorable thing exacts a price and often that is someone's life and you know um yeah so i think all of those things each character is in a way a slightly different commentary on that yeah yeah so um uh, georg uh your main character uh in marseille uh ends up finding and making connection with vidal's wife marie although i did have a problem with the idea that it took him so long to realize she was his wife I kind of, I mean, to be fair, it's a film, so I noticed it immediately, well, and I kind of called it. As soon as it's you see a beautiful woman looking back and a skin kind of disappearing, you think, who is that? Right? Like, yeah. um, <laughs> must so, be. So, you know, gra- granted, uh-huh. like, I was looking at it from someone, I'm watching a film, this person who's shown up must be important. I, mm. I put it together straight away. It's fair enough that he wouldn't necessarily, but it did take him a very long time. Um, and you were talking about that scene in the bedroom where she uh this is the scene where where he realizes who she is um and she is telling him her story and the thing is he has now by now assumed the identity of vital 
in the eyes of uh, sort of the uh, Mexican and American consulates, assume the identity of Vidal. He is Vidal because he has the the visa and travel documents that Vidal had in his possession. This allows him. He basically is able to leave. Mm. Um, uh, and it 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 frustrated me, I suppose, that Georg didn't make the decision to be honest with uh, Marie about who he was and what was happening. Oh, I understood that perfectly because to do so would have put him in immense danger, right? Like, you know, who knows how she would react? I mean, yeah. Well, that's true. um, And also, um, there were emotional things because the fact is that we find out that the wife wrote him a letter saying that she was leaving him, right? And in fact, that, that is what occasioned his suicide. That is why he killed himself. You know, aside from, yeah, kind of the Germans coming in. It was like, you know, the receipt of this letter. So she is also responsible for his death. So, you know, to both reveal his identity that would put him in great danger, potentially, whilst also kind of, mm. you know, yeah, so those are the choices. Of what do you reveal and how do you reveal it and when, yeah? Like, it's mm. not, it's, uh, I mean, this is a film that complicates, ethically complicates all those issues. Oh, certainly. In a way that I think is very interesting yeah and um and he does uh, one or two points attempt to uh communicate to her that her husband is dead he says so to her but without kind of backing it up with and here's how i know it's a it comes across i think as more of a you should forget about him and try and move on with your life sort like of plea. With me <laughs> <laughs> um but it comes across as like a plea rather than information or it comes across to her as something that is potentially, um, you know, that is intending to reassure, though perhaps it's also intending to seduce, i.e., mm. you know, get over him, come with me, right? Yeah. He's dead, right? So, so this thing about misreadings is kind of interesting in the film as well. I mean, it takes a long time for the film to actually confirm, you know, so the audience knows things, the characters don't we know that she's the writer's wife way before Georg does mm. right uh, so you know the the film kind of works on those different sets of knowledges what the audience knows what the characters knows if we have an ounce of intelligence we do it's not actually confirmed I think to the audience explicitly until that bedroom scene yeah. I don't think but if you're if you're if you've been paying attention you will have figured it out I mean, it would be very hard to miss, you know, the woman, mm. you know, that moment where she flies out of the consulate and, you know, <laughs> searching left and right and then goes up to him. And, yeah, I mean, well, the thing you is, know, you'd it, have to be like a real fickle. You, you would. But that, that um, um, I must say, that was something that initially um, was was needling me at the start of that bedroom scene because because I thought, is the film expecting me to find this a great revelation? Because I thought, if, if it ends up with um, Georg saying, you know, are you Marie? I know about your husband, blah, blah, blah. Then that's like actually really, that would be demeaning to the audience because it would be saying like, you know, we have to confirm this for you now. The fact that it didn't in the end meant I liked that scene more because it wasn't about revealing that information to us. It was about revealing his state of mind to mm. us and his decision not to be honest with her. Mm. Uh, it was kind of the point of that scene more so than, mm. than, than, um, than us mm. discovering the truth. Um, I was very I was nervous about that at the start. Um, I had a I had a problem too with the narration. I think, um, although as you say, I didn't know that it was uh, 
taken uh, from the novel directly, um, or at least some of it was. Mm. Um, I felt that it didn't add much. To oh, me, it I felt know, like it was filling in silence. No, I loved it. And, you know, because I loved it because you think, well, you know, for a while you think, who is knowing this, right? Mm. And there's like constant references to the writer and writing and telling and storytelling. And then there's that moment, you know, where you're uh, the, the, the guy who works at the council asks, well, what is the last thing you wrote? And he cites, right, like the manuscript that he's got from the writer, right? Mm. So it's kind of, it's working on different levels, but it's also slightly unreliable. So you, you'll often say, you know, uh, he did this and cried. And then you're being shown the person's face and they're not crying. Yeah. Right? I, yes, there are a few examples of yeah, that. She shielded so, her eyes and she's not. He turned to look as he left and he doesn't. Exactly. And that's quite deliberate, right? Mm. You know, so um, I found that very interesting, kind of, you know, that the, 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 the narration seems slightly unreliable. It's not quite, you know, the way what you're being told and what you're mm. seeing are not I mean they're usually the same but they're not always the same there's a kind of Chinese whispers between what actually happened which you see and what's being told because it starts off you, the, the start of the chain is what actually happened then you have Georg um, telling the bartender it turns out the bartender where he uh, drink or cafe owner where he drinks and eats uh, regularly is um, the guy who's telling the story who's narrating it mm. and you find out at the end mm. so it's like from from real life to Georg's perception, to Georg's memories, or what Georg wants to tell in his version of the story, to what the bartender says, yes. there are these areas where the story can be changed. Yeah, and people right. and and what you would like the story to be mm. can be replaced, mm. or, but replaced. You can use that to replace uh, mm. what actually happened. One of the things that I really loved about the film is the way that it uses all of these tropes, these cliches, even these images of French. France under the occupation, right? Like, you know, so you, the character who runs the hotel at the beginning says, oh, you know, I'm a French woman, I'm a real French woman, I'm a sucker for, you know, anyone in love. You know, then actually you have, when he's running, there's a woman who immediately denounces him and says, you know, he's there, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you could imagine how this might, might have taken place in France in 1942. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, then there's the thing where he goes to a hotel, but, you know, he's being uh, uh, extortioned, uh, you know, for money, right, in a way that he thinks she's going to denounce me tomorrow, right, this woman, and she does, yeah, right? So, you know, all these... Well, he doesn't think it, he knows it. He knows He it, knows immediately. Right. And actually, all of these characters are like, you know, tropes of resistance movies or you know, German occupation movies, right? Like, you've mm. seen these characters before. The the use of them kind of hark, harks back to them. Uh, and also things like, you know, the train or the escaping on a train, mm. right? Or kind of the talk about going to the hills or the mountains, right? Mm. Um, kind of, you know, and of course, the waiting around for a transit visa, right? Like, mm. you know, we know that from Casablanca, <laughs> yeah, primarily, right? But it very much, the film very much harks back to that, whilst showing everything seemingly happening like i mean all the other elements the clothes the cars the setting you know everything else is like mm -hmm. contemporary marseille right and, and the fact that um that this is 
based on a novel from 1944, says, you know, it, it didn't take a whole history of cinema for us to get to the point where these were cliches. This is just the truth. This is mm. like this is this is what was happening. Yes. And it's sort of it may have become uh, a cliche is not the right word because that sounds derogatory. We may have become a sort That's of. That's why I said tropes instead. Yeah, uh, better word. Yeah, they may become tropes of um, of this period and of these stories, but um, they're not based on nothing. Yeah, you know? and um, I think they're very effective. And I think one of the reasons that that the uh, fascist occupation in this film is so convincing not just plausible it's actually very convincing is that it do, it focuses just on these details of how people live their lives and actually for the most part how people live their lives in places where places that are not being occupied are yet to be occupied mm. it's being set in Marseille and the, and so you know you, you see very early on while the action's still in Paris uh, riot police uh, yes. kind of trolling the streets and, and putting people up against walls and patting them down uh, and so on and that's the kind of that it, in terms of sort of the, the sort of extremes of um, the uh, fascist occupation, that's kind of as much as you see, really. Well, no. so the action's removed to Marseille. It's in scuttlebutt and it's in fear and it's in people talking about what's going to happen. Yeah, but th- there are also things that you see, right? So you know, you see people dying waiting for visas, right? Like you know that that guy who's wanting to go to South America and presumably has a heart attack that kills him. Yeah, he's a composer or something, isn't he? Oh yeah, a musician of some mm. kind, yeah. Um, and of course, you see like, you know, the sheer hopelessness that, you know, kind of someone jumps off a bridge, right? Mm. You know, when they know that like, the, kind of the cleansing has now arrived uh, uh, to uh, Marseille, right? And actually, and that was a, a kind of uh, again, you know, one hears stories like this, right? Because, you know, if you've already heard what's in store for you, so this woman kind of, who's been taking care of dogs while waiting to get a a transit visa, you know, has the dogs killed, treats herself to a fantastic meal, gets company, and then, like, kind of very surprisingly, she, yeah. Shares a cigarette and throws herself off a bridge. bridge. I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting that either. No, but but as soon as it happens, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense, right. Mm. So so actually, there are all those moments of violence or intimations of violence. There's kind of, you know, this this sense of, of danger... You know, but I think that does speak to what I'm saying about that being kind of separate from the direct, uh, the direct occupation, which is still happening elsewhere. It speaks to this is this is what people's fears are, and this is what people's well, behaviour is when they know it's coming. I think I think it speaks to both then and now, right? So you know, when the woman has to go away to live clandestinely with Driss with the boy. Right, and then he knocks on the door, and the door opens, and there are like twenty-five people living in one room. Mm. That's recognizable, mm. you know. Um, so, so I think you know that's that's the beauty of this film, that it's kind of you know it's putting the past in, in play with the present, and it's making you kind of it's drawing your attention to the present, kind of you know into the situation of fascism in Europe, which kind of seems to be, yeah, to be spreading. Right. Uh, one or two points, I thought. You know, you could have done this better by setting it in post-Brexit Britain. But well, there are things that wouldn't have seemed out of place in what we kind well, of imagine. Well, my God, coming. you know, kind of you know? yes, Windrush and all those things. I mean, certainly, kind of. I don't mean that to sound glib. I really mean it no, like well, you know, okay, fascists walking down the street, maybe not. But in terms of the, you know, you, uh, the 
people lining up at, 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 at consulates and offices trying to get what they need done. I mean, that's already happening. And really. people being kicked out, exactly. and, you know, and people be kind of, you know, having their rights removed. You know, I mean, you know, we are now, what, September the 15th? You know, and I personally kind of, you know, don't know what my legal situation and, you know, in this country is going to be on October 31st after living here for 27 years, you know. So, I mean, to me, these things do not seem far-fetched at all and they certainly do not seem exaggerated, mm. right? Um, so, uh, and people say, oh, it'll never happen here, you know. Uh, but then, like, Pretty Patel says, well, you know, on the 31st of October, bye-bye. Yeah, like everything changes. Mm. You know, then of course she's told off, you know, <laughs> legally for saying that because it's outrageous. And then she's got to backtrack it. But you know, if you're one of those three million people, kind of, you know, who are EC citizens, and now you don't know what's going to happen, you know, those comments from a government minister are like really terrorizing, right? You know, because it kind of it puts in place some of the situations that you see here. You know, but nonetheless, you know. So let me not, you know. Because the fact is that, you know, I am here legally, you know, but there are kind of lots of other people rendered stateless for many reasons, you know, that kind of are in exactly the situation that is described in this film. Mm. Yeah, now. And that is kind of beyond Brexit. It has to, you know, it's more like geopolitical, like, you know, kind of, I mean, what happens if your country's a war, right? Like, where do you go? Where do you flee, right? And mm. what happens when there's like, ethnic cleansing, you know, the way that we saw in, like, uh, uh, you know, the former Yugoslavia. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like if you're on the wrong side, yeah, like if you're a Muslim living in a, you know, in a Christian area or a Christian living in a Muslim area and, you know, kind of there's uh, ethnic cleansing as a government policy, where do you, f where, you know, where can you go to, mm. right? Like, or if you're rendered stateless by your own government, yeah, which often happens, right? Look at what's happening in the United States, right? Like, mm. so these things are very live, yeah? And the film kind of beautifully dramatizes them, gives them emotional resonance, yeah? And kind of complicates them. It doesn't, you know... So if yesterday I was saying, you know, how it has a simple, stupid conception of what it is to be human and what the world <laughs> is like, this actually has, you know, a kind of a complex understanding of that. And actually, a more generous view of looking at it. You know, you can understand why people might make decisions that do not, you know, seem um, admirable initially, right? And you see people struggling with their conscience and with their self-interest and, you know, and giving up their self-interests, right, for other people. Uh, yeah, it's a film that, and it's a film of, of misplaced love, right? So basically, this is a film in which, you know, the young boy forms an attachment with Georg, who also has an attachment for him, but is going to leave him, right? And, you know, this doctor is going to leave Marie, even though he loves her, but then he can't, right? And Marie has been waiting for her husband, you know, who uh, she thinks is alive, and, you know, has refused to take a ship that will m make her safe, because she's waiting for him, right? And so... Yeah, you get kind of, and, and you know, uh, is it Richard the Doctor yes. and Georg are both in love with Marie, you know, kind of, you feel that, um, you, you feel that Marie has an attachment to the husband, 
right? And then also a different kind of attachment or t a tenderness for these two different men, right? Things are just like not clear cut. If you love this person, how can you not love another, right? Mm -hmm. And the the question of the situation and context and comfort and need all play out as kind of part of this dynamic in, in a way that I think is really beautiful. I mean, I was very touched. Um, the film has been described, it's on the poster, it's a quote from IndieWire, as Casablanca as written by Kafka. And it's something that oh, was on my mind stupid. through the film. Um, it is quite glib. Um, the Casablanca connection, I think, is um, is absolutely apt, as, as we've both been saying, the idea mm. of kind of removing the... Um, the action to this to this port people pass through and all this mm. kind of thing and there's a lot of there's all this um, there's all this concentration on visas and travel documents and so on and so forth and and then there's this sort of uh, love triangle or it's, it's more than a triangle it's as you say it's love in all different directions mm. but never the right direction um, the Kafka um, uh, reference in that quote is something I find too reductive too glib and actually not accurate because mm. what Kafka sort of says to me is is the absurdity of the system and how the system seems designed to kind of hold you up and uh, and confuse you and and the and there's 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 sort of absurdity in everything and uh, there's the one point in the film where I think it actually is apt where um, he's talking to the hotel owner right at the start and she says she wants to see his documents his his travel documents or, mm. or whatever it is and he basically says. Um, so in order for me to be able to stay, I have to prove I'm going to leave. Yes. You know, that's that's um, the, the sort of the sort of catch twenty two thing. Well, but everything but, that's but everything bureaucratic else, is not Kafka. Exactly, you know? <laughs> I was going to say like everything that is bureaucratic actually seems to show the system working really. Although, as you say, the one man does die in the queue, and there are large queues. Every time you you see uh, Georg talking to someone, talking to one of these consulate officials, um, they're doing their jobs quite well it seems asking him the right sort of questions and do, getting the information that they need to get no but they're also overwhelmed and actually he's getting privileged treatment because he's meant to be a famous writer yes so you know he gets through but everybody else is waiting and waiting right that's true so um, um, but still it's not about it's, it's not it's not about sort of uh, an, an absurd system kind of kind of holding you back or no destroying your life well I mean um, and it's not even absurd you know, uh, I was going to say what's absurd is, you know, that somebody could just waltz into your room and, you know, basically put your life in danger, right? Like, you know, so that seems absurd, like, uh, except it's not, right? You know, that bit where they go into the hotel and he gets off because he's managed, you know, he's got an identity, right? Uh, false as it is. Um, but... Uh, you, the the wife is separated from the husband and the child, yeah, and dragged mm. through the corridor with everyone I mean, watching. And uh, yeah, so you'd say, oh, well, that's absurd. Except it's not. It's systematic. It's again, you know, it's an example of what the Nazis did, you know. And who knows how that's happening now? I mean, just think of that was yeah. the part of the film that affected me the most. Actually, uh -huh. you talk about it being moving, and I wasn't that moved by the, by the love story really at all. But that part of the film where she's dragged through and everyone is watching and no one does anything and they talk of shame it, the narration talks of shame he yes. says you know I, at that point everyone everyone was shame right. and um and actually that was one of the points where i felt that the narration was overbearing because i mm. thought you don't need to spell this out oh i think you me. do because you know if what you're saying is that the film is making a connection between the past and the present you know then this notion of shame is very important because this notion of just looking on and letting things happen is what we're doing now yes but i think 
Well, in that case, it sort of acts as more of a call to action than just a dramatisation, I suppose. Which isn't, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I'm just saying that's kind of what it is. But um, because I felt you don't need the you don't need a narrator to say everyone was feeling shame for me to understand through their gesture, through their through what their faces look like, through how they're looking and what they're looking at, and how they, you don't need all that that on its own should be able to convey that. Well, but for me, it was important that it be underlined because again. You know, kind of, this is a film that's happening in between times, right? You know, so I, I thought it needed to be underlined. If it's, if it's not just talking about the past, but it's also talking about the present, you know. Um, shame about what happened in the past is acknowledged, you know. Mm. We, we've heard lots of, you know, German accounts, right? Uh, beginning with I didn't know, right? Uh, and then kind of, the, you know, a, a feeling of shame about what happened. But actually, what's happening now, I've never heard anybody speaking of shame in relation to that. Mm. So I liked that, you know, the, yeah, that it was underlined, right? Sure. Fair enough. Wow. Is it, it just, it, a lot of the narration reminded me of this, um, I'm going to sound really uh, lame now, but a TED talk by a guy called Chip Kidd. Uh, who's uh, who's a designer of book covers? Uh-huh. It's really good and it's worth watching. Um, and one of the things that he talked about is like the first lesson he had in in the design school or whatever it was was his teacher wrote, uh, drew a picture of an apple on mm. a board and wrote the word apple mm. underneath it. And he said, "You either show this or you write this. You don't do both." And that to me is what a lot of narration does in this. It shows and tells at the same time. No, you see, I, I mean, you could make that argument, and it's certainly true in cinema, right, that things kind of must be shown, right? Um, but I think this is doing kind of stuff that's more interesting, and yeah, because again, we're saying the narration is un- is unreliable, like, mm-hmm. sometimes it's saying something that it's not showing you, or that it's showing you something else. So it has to be boringly reliable for the unreliable stuff to be interesting. <laughs> well, I'm, I think that the film is doing something interesting with choosing, you know, when it's underlining uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and when it's contradicting, or when it's not even contradicting, but it doesn't quite add up, or it doesn't quite do what it says. Yeah, right. So kind of, you know. So I think all of those things open up kind of areas of thinking and of thinking about the action that you see, right? That 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 are also kind of a bit mysterious. For example, you know, after he finds out, or no, Marie comes in to the restaurant. And then he runs to the ship station to look at the passenger list to see whether she got on it or not. Was it his imagination? Was it a vision? Was it a dream? Mm. Right? Like, it turns out that, you know, she was ostensibly there and sunk. But was she, you know? Or did she give her ticket to somebody else who used the same name? I mean, it just Mm. opens up kind of, yeah, nuances, complexities. What did you make of the last shot of the film? Remind me. The last shot is um, he's he's been to the uh, company to, to the ship company and looked at the manifest and has been told that she died or been told that the ship sank, um, and then he's back at the cafe sitting on his own as normal, and it's a shot on his face, and you hear the bell go as the door oh, yeah. opens as the and occupation. he looks up and smiles, cut to black. Ah, so that might be her, yes. The idea is that might be her. And I must say, I've never been a fan of that sort of ending. The mm. only one I've ever liked like that is um, uh, the end of 
The Dark Knight Returns, The Dark Knight Rises, rather the th- the third Batman film, the third <laughs> Batman. because because it's all about yeah. it's it's the one where um, spoilers, I suppose. Um, uh, Alfred Michael Caine has said earlier, yeah, you know, I, I imagine you not being Batman anymore, going to a lovely little uh, cafe in Italy where I always go every year, and I imagine you sitting there, and we wouldn't we wouldn't say anything to, to each other, but we just acknowledge that we're there and we'd smile, and that's it. And then the end of the film, he's there in that cafe, mm. and he looks up. And he sees Batman, and then importantly, we see Batman as well, mm. and he's happy and stuff. And it's like, you know, don't make it ambiguous. Just show me that they're happy. Mm. You know, I get why it's not like that here. I get why it's never like that normally, but it 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 feels like a cop out of an ending to me whenever something like that happens. No, I tell like, me what happened. No, I kind of I like I like that ambiguity. Um, anyway, I think it's a really <laughs> great film. Um, I must say, despite not being moved by things that I think I was supposed to be moved by, um, I think it's a really impressive mm. film um, and a really kind of bold film yes. as well. And I mean, it reminded me as well of, of Devella, which we watched not long ago, which mm. is which is another uh, sort of modern. I say modern in terms of the when it's made. It was from two thousand and nine or so. Um, another uh, German film talking about Germany's history mm. um, and as we say like this is the, um, this film is not directly uh, about Germany's history but it is partially it's yes. it, you know in a, in a um, in a wide sense and it and it refers to a real occupation and you know may displace it in time but as you say it sort of that doesn't matter um, do you think it's especially interesting for that reason for it being of German origin the film? yes it is, and it has a, a very, you know. <laughs> uh, so, so I wouldn't say it's an apology, but you know, basically the things that happened in Germany, like or that Germany caused, uh, in the you know from the thirties, you know until the end of the war, right? It's it's something that Germany has been held responsible for, made to pay for born kind of questions of responsibility and shame as well they the country should right but the thing is it's happening everywhere else now Mm. right yeah and actually kind of people or very few people are resisting or, or talking about it in the same way right it's okay if you know the people kind of seeking refuge are African or Middle Eastern yeah it's not Mm. the same yeah actually you know in many ways it is exactly the same yeah, kind of people are being hounded out for the same reasons, right? You know, so I think that a German is saying that mm. is important. Yes. I think that... Um, My theory might not be right about <laughs> why, but, you know. I think that the the the, the, the French setting and the German characters and all, that, and all the stuff that is cl- so clearly related to uh, the real, real sort of history on which this is based and the novel on which it is based... Um, I think that's one of the reasons that that I do find it so convincing as a as a sort of world to believe in, mm. because um, it all it struck me. Uh, what struck me as a point of comparison was uh, Children of Men, mm. and what Children of Men does it talks about modern it, well, quote unquote modern day, a sort of dystopian near future Britain, um, and and it does so in painting a, a very broad picture. Like I say, this one focuses on those little details of how people interact, mm. and how people feel. And and shows not so much of uh, kind of imagery of of uh, fascist uh, mm. occupiers and so on, 
which Children of Men absolutely does. It mm. builds a really rich uh, uh, dystopian world where you're constantly mm. seeing uh, in, uh, areas of kind of dilapidation, um, uh, lines of people being uh, uh, lined up by mm. these these kind of uh, stormtroopers, mm. basically that sort of thing, um, and and that and and. But Children of Men, I think, for that reason, is like it's very clearly not set in the real world. It's set in a sci-fi, well, yes. not, not sci-fi, but dystopian, different world. This feels absolutely set yes. in the real world. Yes. And I think that it refer that it's partially the, the that concentration on details, and it's partially the setting in France with German characters and the the, the close relationship it has to real historical events that is responsible for that. Yes. I think it's I think it's important also that it happened in in contemporary France, you know, um, because um, the the narrative moving from the past to the present, you know, so ostensibly, you know, France is not under occupation. For France, you know, metaphorically, read any uh, rich Western country, you know, kind of nobody's under an occupation, right? But that, but these things, the the things that you're being shown, yeah, are happening everywhere, you know, and they're happening in countries that are not, like, you know, mm. um, fascist dictatorships, right? Do you think then that the film actually suffers from not being more directly about that? No, I think it makes it richer, you know, because um, it asks. It, it offers complexities and it asks the audience to think about it. And I'm sure that everyone will have a slightly different interpretation of what those things signify. Mm. I can imagine some people rejecting it on that basis because it doesn't spell out everything for you. you know. But if you meet the film halfway, it kind of it offers all this nuance and layers you know, that would not be there otherwise. Mm. Something else which the film is talking about, which I don't have a good sort of read on I suppose at the moment and we, and we talked about it a little bit is the idea of storytelling oh um, yes so it's important that, that there is this narration yes. which says Georg did this Georg did that and this happened and that happened and it's quite poetic at points and as he as, again you, you later find out it's the bartender who's been narrating this the whole time but at the start you have no idea mm. actually at the, the, the narration comes in when on that train down to Marseille um, Georg opens the writer's bag and sees this unpublished manuscript. And as he's reading this manuscript, it being in German, I can't read a word of it, so mm. I don't know. Um, but I thought that there may be an element of magical realism in here where it turned out that the, the, the manuscript was somehow magically talking about his life. Because it seemed like it was reading that out. Mm. And obviously the narration is talking about Georg. Quite, fairly quickly disabused of that notion because otherwise uh, Georg would have had a much different reaction than just getting bored with it and putting it down. Mm. Um, there's also though this thing about uh, well, I suppose I said earlier that Marie at one point tells her story and that's a kind of central scene in the film she yes. tells her story to, to York and there's also this thing about at one of the consulates it's the Mexican one I think uh, York first meets one or two sort of characters who pop, crop up later this, this uh, conductor is one of them who tells him his story. He just starts yeah. talking. Georg doesn't say a word. He doesn't really seem to want to listen. But again, it, it does come through the narration, and this is something that is that the narration does express that isn't expressed visually. Um, uh, where Georg says, you know, or, or rather the, the bartender narrating says, Georg realised that 
these people were telling their stories and what are ports if not places for stories for to be story, told yeah, yeah. and everyone shares their story of why they're here yes so the idea of of storytelling and and having your story told. telling your story but also having it heard yes is important and there's this thing in the um when he gets into the the meeting with the sort of higher up in this consulate and he's uh, actually it's the american consulate he says are you going to write about this mm. and he says i don't want to write and he goes but a writer writes well, he but comes that's... up with this confabulation about why he doesn't want to write. Yeah. Um, because they wouldn't have accepted him if he were a communist. So yeah, the... it's almost like he's got, you know, not writing is what gives him the visa. So, but, but it's true. There's all this thing about storytelling and hearing stories and telling stories and, you know, and actually denying people's existence by not being willing to hear their story. So if you remember the woman who commits suicide, it's like, I don't want to hear your story also. Yeah, like, mm. I, you know, Dad, yes, I, yeah, I didn't commit. Like, I just all. want you to be here, right? That's like, right. You know, I just want I, company. I just uh, want company. I don't want to hear your story. So, so this thing about about telling stories is absolutely crucial to identity and to existence and to acknowledgement of, you know, a, a historical kind of uh, uh, conditions and consequences. So and the film plays on it. Some stories are reliable. Some some are not. Mm. You know, some are from the past. Some are things that people say, right? Like, but yes, there are loops of storytelling and kind of, you know, and they, and that makes the film so interesting because if it is like this interplay between the past and the present, right? And kind of you know the film has this whole thing about storytelling and visual storytelling and the novel of storytelling and oral storytelling and you know the need that people feel to tell their stories and to be heard and you know and so on kind of yeah it kind of it makes for a really kind of rich and interesting kind of um, intervention that I think is both political and poetic right like this film is saying something about our times and yeah there's also an idea in it particularly thinking about that american concert official in that storytelling can be dangerous powerful yes. that's right you know, what you, it, you know the idea that as you say that they're worried that he's a communist he has this uh, the writer this is who he's uh, taking the identity of has this uh, communist past mm. and um and georg is very quick to sort of deny it and say anything he can to 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 convince this guy that he's not a communist and not a threat and one of the things that he says is I don't want to write about this I have no intention of writing about mm. this and he has to he has to come up with this idea why and actually in doing so he kind of writes I mean mm. the, the, the story that he tells me about when I was at school we used to have to write essays on what was our summer like what was That's our Christmas right. like my, my best day of my summer I got sick of it I'm not going to write another essay um, that is a kind of act of writing and it's actually a really brilliant life it is an act of writing though one of the interesting things about this film as well is that the central character Georg is the one that you almost know less about than anyone than anyone he's a cipher he's someone to read things onto mm. you know or to comment on other people's things but like you know you don't know where he's from you, you don't know what he's doing in Paris you know, you don't know where he's going to. So you're mm. told, yes, this guy's his friend, but how did he get in this mess? Where has he come from? What are they doing in Paris? Where does he want to go? <laughs> right? Like, you know, uh, so the only thing that kind of you, you know is that he develops feelings both for the child, right, and for the woman. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, and you know things that happen to him or that he does. But actually, he's a bit of a cipher. Yeah. 
And I think it's a real credit to the film that I didn't question that until now. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, to, I mean, I take, well, actually, it's a credit to more specifically his characterization and the performance and uh, and the yeah the, the way his character is built and what he does being like that is what's interesting and um and never really questioning yeah. race or anything like I didn't it's not a, maybe it's a question that you might ask but it's not a problem you don't feel like no, the film is lacking right. oh, no, not no, no. explaining who he is I, I think A I think it's deliberate mm. right and I think it adds a layer of richness really yeah but you agree that it is yes you absolutely know, kind of it's almost like you know less about him than any of the other main characters you know, um, yeah, the doctor, yeah, who's got uh, a contract in Mexico where he's really needed, you know, and he's in love with this woman and he's already delayed the trip. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have both a sense of like kind of, you know, where he's from, where he's going to. Yeah, like kind of what he feels. Yeah. Whereas with, with Georg, it's like he's the protagonist. But actually, you know less about him. You know less about him than you know about Marie, right? Like you know. And there are definitely art films. I mean, I'm just racking my brain to think of them now. But there are definitely examples of, of sort of art films where you you have your main character who doesn't talk very much, doesn't do very much, and really is a very deliberate sort of sort of blank mm. surface. But it always in those in those films. I wish I could think of one right now. But in those films, it, it always comes across as so stilted mm. that that's happening, and it doesn't here. You are given enough to understand just his his, his state of mind yes. and what he cares about, and sort of um, where he's going. But there is a sense of um, there is a sense of sort of pieces on a chessboard being moved around but to no great effect mm. in kind of what happens. Certainly, once he actually moves to Marseille, kind of affections are are generated between people and then and, and then that kind of informs why a visa might be given to someone or a transport document might be given to someone mm. and the and you have these kind of ideas of plans that are tentatively being putting in place put in place on which boat will travel on, where we'll travel to, who I'll travel with. Yes. But that's constantly changing and when it changes and changes back, it's never to any kind of great effect. There is this sense of sort of just yeah, as I said, like pieces being moved around a chessboard but but also the, being taken. it's a little bit more than that in the sense that you're, you're also very quickly uh, told or made conscious of the time is running out, right? Yeah. You know, so if they, you know, if they don't get this boat, there will not be another boat that, you know, the Germans are approaching. They've already done Paris and Lyon and Avignon and, you know, kind of, yeah, there might be no more boats leaving, right? So the sense, it's not quite a deadline, but you get a sense of the urgency of acting quickly, of time mm. running out, right? Which is done very subtly because, you know, like it's not a, as like some classic American film where you're given a deadline and you're constantly reminded of it and, yeah. you know. But actually here... It's, it's a, not it's, how Hitchcock would have done it. Exactly. But <laughs> it's a weight that overhangs these characters, that time is running out for them, mm. right? Which is Although you think w- they would act a little bit more urgently. They do seem to still... Be a little bit lackadaisical well, sometimes. No, but what, what can you do? I mean, this yeah. is not an action movie. I mean, what would you do in real life? They wait around kind yeah. of consulates and, you know, and then yeah. try to get kind of tickets and, you know, true. look into the black market. And, you know, those are the things that actually you see them doing. And they're all dreary and boring and dull and, yeah. you know, but they lead to suicide. I'd tell you the one character I wanted to know more about is uh, Driss's mother. Ah, uh, yes. I feel like I want to know more about her. You are given sort of enough to understand vaguely why, why she is where she is. And I think it's interesting 
Well, it's certainly it's very deliberate that when Georg goes back to her apartment and discovers that she's moved, what he discovers there is about twenty-five. Um, either North African or, or, or Middle mm. Eastern or both people like there seem to be a number of yeah, families they look like Moroccan staying well. in the same place yeah um, and you know it's imp- I think that's important like this is the, it, you kind of get the, the sense that this is a this is a place where people of that ethnic background or those ethnic backgrounds um, are are uh, welcome you know? well I don't know because I think for me the casting of that mother is so significant because you know had you cast her as a blonde, the film would have had a different resonance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think one of the things that the film is trying to do is kind of make it resonate in the present, right? And so to have, you know, that skin color, right, and, and the reference to being North African in this film is one of the things that, again, kind of links it to the present, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because, like, a person like that, unless she was a Roma, you know, wouldn't have been in danger in... Marseille in, you know, 1942, right? You know, so, but they, the, but, you know, that person mm. without papers would be in danger now, mm-hmm. right? So I think kind of, yeah, that's one of the, the film is very clever and kind of, how do you go about making these connections? Mm. Um, and it, it, it struck me as well, and I don't have a good read on this at all, that she is deaf and mute, Yes, um, and her son translates for her. You don't actually know this at the start. Uh, Georg says something to her, and it's only when she looks at her son to translate what he's just said, you realise that, mm. uh, that that she can't hear. And um, it, the film moves fairly fluidly between French and German. The Germans speak to each other, and then they speak to French characters in French, um, and and that's very very fluid. Um, and then for these couple of scenes with the mother, mm. it, it moves into sign language. Yes. And there is this, there is this focus on when uh, when he's explaining to her why 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 Driss has let him in to the apartment because she wasn't there at the mm. time, and sort of explaining what he does and who he is and that sort of thing. Um, you know, you have to take the time to say it and then wait for it to be translated and then say it back. And then she asks him to sing this song that he'd yes. been singing to Driss. Yes, and I... he sings. It. She wants to watch him sing. Sing, yes. And actually, that that moment stumped me because that is a moment where you are given information about the, his past, right? It's a song that his mother sang to him. I'm not familiar enough with German culture to know the cultural resonances of that song. Yeah, I didn't know the song. You know, you you suspect that this song signifies something, right? Um, the song is about a number of animals coming home. The yes. codfish swims home. The cow comes home. The horse comes home. Yes. That's all the lyrics. Okay, so in, in a in a I suppose in a blatant sense is these are now characters without a home mm. that have had to escape their home, right, to survive that have had to leave home to survive. But I suspect there's something more to it than that. Like you know, was this a popular children's song in the 1930s? Right? Yeah. Mm. Does it have a re- you know some kind of connection to like Nazi Germany? Yeah. I mean, those are the things I just don't know. But you feel that, you know, that kind of um, lullaby has more resonance than just about yeah. home. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I, I, I really loved the, the idea of, of her asking him to sing it, wanting yes. to watch him sing, because, because I suppose you get the sense, um, I mean, I'm working on this at the, like, as I think about it, but like, you get the sense that she is isolated 
through um, her deafness and her inability to speak. Like so many migrant peoples, you know, from economic immig- immigrants to other types of, like, you know, migrants. Because that is often the case, that people can't speak the language and they can't understand things, but they can see. Well, you, you've spoken before about um, being in um, Montreal as a child. Yes. You would have to speak on behalf of your parents. That's right. They didn't speak the language, so you often have children translating for their parents. You know, um, from everything, from putting a phone in or, you know... And that's absolutely uh, what's happening here, except she's even more isolated because she, it's not like she can speak to other uh, North Africans, wherever yes. it is exactly that she's from. She can only speak through her son. Yes. And and the uh, all of the love story stuff, between all those all that cast of characters, is, a, is about, in a very broad sense, connection. I suppose every yes. film, really, in some sense, is about connection. Yes. Um, but, but this is about connection. She, you know, she can't hear a word he's saying... But in in watching him sing to her, she's able to kind of reach outside for a for a type of connection with someone else. She's speak, yes. he's he's doing it for her, speaking to her, and that that kind of transcends her disability. And I actually found that quite moving. That was very moving, actually. Food for thought. Yes. Well, I highly recommend that people see it. Yeah, so do I. Uh, so, uh, and actually, again, just to say, we saw it at the MAC at the Midlands Art Centre uh, with their wonderful projection system, uh, which always helps. Uh, so, you know, do see it uh, if you get the chance. Uh, and we are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on... Uh, YouTube, SoundCloud, and iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called. I don't have an Apple... I don't have an iPhone, so I don't know. Right. Um, iTunes? <laughs> iTunes, something like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have an iPhone. <laughs> uh, on social media, we're on Facebook yeah. and Twitter, at Movies is the handle, mm. and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Right. Thank you very much for listening. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Goodbye. You know, there's this thing about the ships that they hope to get to America with, right? And, um, you know, it. so the, the Montreal, right? And they have this huge cruise ship, which is like, what was it? Something Doria, the one that crashed in, you know, uh, in Italy. Um, oh. You uh, remember a few years ago. It began with C, didn't it? Sorry? Then we're going to see the name of that ship. I'm sure, I'm sure we're thinking of the same thing. Cruise ship that crashed. Um, I'll have a quick look. Um, what's this? All? Anyway, it looks like the, the Andrea Doria, whatever it was. Let me... You have to take all this out. Well, the... <laughs> the Costa Concordia. The Costa Concordia, yeah. See, it was worth looking it up. Yes, good. Well, I you know, I, I had it in mind. I was yeah. not far off. <laughs> and now our listeners can have it in mind too. No, you. this must all come off. Not all of it. We're going to keep in the name Costa Concordia. Okay, well, you know, so now we say, you know, that there's an, an allusion, an explicit reference made to the Costa Concordia. You act like I've never had to cut anything out you've ever said before. <laughs> 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 Carry on. <laughs> uh, Anyway...